Hallo, mein Name ist Christiane Wirz, ich bin Coach und Autorin aus Köln und weiß, wie sich etwas aus Krisen machen lässt. Heute haben wir wieder einen Podcast-Gast aus den USA hier in einer Videokonferenz, wie das ja jetzt möglicherweise unter Lockdown-Bedingungen öfter immer noch weiter der Fall sein wird, aber Immerhin haben wir so eine gute Möglichkeit, in Kontakt zu sein. Ich begrüße Marcel Ciampi. Marcel Ciampi ist vielen Menschen ein Begriff, die in Sachen Neurodiversität unterwegs sind. Das heißt, Menschen, die vor allen Dingen im Bereich Autismus-Spektrum dafür kämpfen, dass die positiven Seiten ähm, sagen wir einfach mal, dieses Phänomens anerkannt werden und äh, dass man mit diesen positiven Eigenschaften auch in Gesellschaft und Wirtschaft wahrgenommen wird. Good evening, Marcel. I just introduced you as somebody who is uh, fighting on the front of neurodiversity and um, I would be happy if you could explain this term to people who might not know exactly what this is. Thank you and thank you for having this conversation with me this evening. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you from United States and the state of Washington. Uh, we're a couple states above California, and I'm sandwiched between Seattle and Portland, Oregon. That's a great question. Neurodiversity itself is actually a quite complex concept. It, it is referring to not only a definition but also a movement, and a political movement. Neurodiversity as a definition implies that we all have different brains and minds, and to honor and respect those variances, everyone is under the neurodiversity umbrella. We are all neurodiverse in our making, We all differ from one another in our personhood and how we perceive the world and how we process the world and how we communicate our thoughts and beliefs and attitudes toward the world. I like to tease that the only people that aren't under the neurodiversity umbrella are zombies and ghosts. And I joke that ghosts are debatable <laughs> depending yes. on your belief system. Uh, neurodivergency, on the other hand, are distinct brains and minds that significantly vary from the mainstream norm. So the word neurodivergent or being a neurodivergent such as myself and what qualifies me as a neurodivergent is I'm autistic and have hyperlexia, dyslexia, dyspraxia, generalized anxiety disorder, uh, post-traumatic condition, and some other things as well, situational depression. All of those things qualify me as being a neurodivergent. And the difference between the neurodiversity umbrella and being neurodivergent is a neurodivergent person, as I said, their brain varies significantly from the norm. So the whole premise, the whole topic of being a neurodivergent person is dependent on societal constructs and our beliefs. So it's continually shifting, and it depends on what type of culture you belong to. So in the Western society, neurodivergent people are oftentimes seen as 
quote-unquote abnormal or in need of fixing. And what the neurodiversity movement is about is recognizing that there is no perfect brain and that many people who are neurodivergent aren't in need of fixing. They don't need to be made into the typical normal person, but to be appreciated for their distinct minds, their distinct strengths, and the beautiful depth and wisdom they can bring to the world and how our differences make for a better world. And the word itself, neurodiversity, I, the grandfather of neurodiversity is biodiversity, which implies respecting our world and all the variances that are part of our world and in our nature. And neurodiversity can be thought of in a very similar way of respecting and honoring all those beautiful variances of the human being that are on the planet. And by doing that, we're honoring biodiversity and honoring the world itself and nature. So they all gather together. They're all part of one unit. Mm -hmm. I mean, is this really a fact that there's a normal brain? Or is this, I mean, like, do we have, let's say... Uh, data about a lifetime span of all the people in the US, for example, or on the whole world? I mean, isn't that constantly changing and also sometimes like getting better, getting worse, getting, I don't know, in whatever direction? I mean, we have this COVID situation now and you have people with post-COVID syndromes that nobody can explain up until now. They forget things, they have depression, uh, whatever, symptoms. So what exactly is the normal brain? There is no normal brain, and there is no normal brain sitting in a jar anywhere. What normal means in Western society is it doesn't go too far on the pendulum to one side or the next. It doesn't endanger a person or endanger a norm or a societal construct. It doesn't push against the system. It keeps citizens in control. So there is no normalcy. It's a big myth. I sometimes talk about Einstein's brain that I recently learned about. His brain was actually stolen and kept in a jar and traveled around <laughs> the, the uh, United States so if there's any perfect brain, it's probably Einstein's. And what's interesting is there's at least three leading experts in the world of uh, psychology, psychiatry, who say Einstein was more than likely on the autism spectrum. So if we're looking at a perfect brain, it's probably neurodivergent. If we're looking at a normal brain that people want to study and steal and, and emulate and find out what made it tick, it's by all definitions not normal. And also when we're looking at the concept of normalcy, so few of us, when we dig deep into personal lives and personal histories, so few of us would even fit that definition. Most of us, especially with the global health climate, the COVID, as you mentioned, most of us would fit under some type of neurodivergency in our lifetime, whether that's we grow old enough to lose part of our memory, or as you said, we have a virus that affects our memory, or we are anxious and have anxiety because of the world situation, or we've undergone divorce or job loss or home loss, which has affected our depression. So many of us fit under 
having aspects of being a neurodivergent, that it's really in actuality not a minority. Uh, what's wonderful about these labels that we are establishing, as hard as it is to box people in and define them under labels, is that it's giving us a platform to discuss our differences and our variances and how we can support one another. What is happening rapidly, though, the more people I speak with around the world, I spoke with someone from India this morning, someone from the UK this morning, because what's happening is we are discovering through these labels and through these names and through these movements that we are more alike than different. And perhaps we have created more boxes or we have created more boxes than is needed, than are needed but it gives us a launching pad to begin these discussions and to meet individuals like yourself and talk about how we can support one another, how we can improve the workplace, what's working, what's not working, and to pinpoint where we're at so we can map out where we want to get to. Mm -hmm. Marcel, can you tell us a little bit about your personal journey? I mean, your personal, let's say, neurodiverse journey, self-discovery journey, and being, um, I don't know, a, a kind of advocate for this di a neurodiverse movement? How did it come? Sure. sure, thank you. I have a middle son. I have three sons. They all graduated from school the exact same day this year, two from college and two, one from high school. And my middle son is on the autism spectrum, diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome when he was five, and he's now 22, and he's doing very well. That's when my journey began several years ago, more than a decade ago, with autism itself. I was late-age diagnosed Asperger's syndrome when it was still a standalone diagnosis in the United States. Now it falls under the autism umbrella in the U.S. When I was... 42, 43, about nine years ago. With that discovery, I started to note all of the discrepancies and all of the misnomers and myths and stereotypes about being an autistic person that were online and in the media. For example, that we lacked empathy, we couldn't be married, we couldn't hold down a job. And the more and more people I met, which became upwards of 10, 20, 30,000 people around the world who identified with being autistic or Asperger or similar neurodivergent profile, the more I realized not only in myself and my son and all these beautiful souls around the world is that these stereotypes were wrong. Yet the professionals in the field and the media are still to this day perpetualizing um, pushing out these misnomers and these mistruths. And I started to process on a blog called Everyday Asperger's my thoughts about being a late-age diagnosed woman in America and the thoughts and feelings I was having not only in self-discovery but in discovering this ableism and oppression and discrimination, acts of discrimination against our people, our autistic people and those with similar profiles And the blog turned out to be a half a million words, 500,000 words, and then turned into a book. And from there, I connected with more people and now speak internationally on the topic of neurodiversity and autism in my own journey as a late-age diagnosed woman. In addition, I work for a company, Ultranauts, Inc., that is 100% remote, 
onshore in America, also expanding into Canada. And it's an engineering firm where 75% of us are on the autism spectrum and 45% are non-male. And I say that in that way to honor the LGBTQIA community. And from that role, that hat, I largely designed the recruitment process to be friendly and open to all types of minds. And now I serve through Ultranauts, Inc. as the Senior Manager of Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and an ambassador. So it is my pleasure and my privilege to be able to connect with brilliant minds like yourself all over the globe uh, and learn about people's lives and their experience as a neurodivergent person or an ally to neurodivergent people and what they're doing to spread awareness. And I've been so encouraged in the last, just the last year or two, how much more this is becoming a topic of discussion and inquiry and more and more people are advocating or at activists for this cause. Well, Marcel, it's hard moving. I mean, this podcast here tries to uh, build bridges between people who, let's say, go through crisis. In general, it doesn't matter what kind of crisis, because I think what really, really connects us is even more than neurodiversity. It's experiencing human suffering and then opening your heart and trying to understand more and more and more. And But you find them usually you find people a little bit more open when they are stigmatized, when they have a big problem, let's say, or maybe they don't have. So let's try to explain. I, I will offer you what I think is the stereotype of an autistic person. And you tell me something, what you would say is an autistic person, okay? I, I give you the stereotype that an autistic person is somebody, you know, the Rain Man type who has a deep connection to another person, maybe, who gets easily overwhelmed, who might be able to concentrate on a certain thing, but is not able to, to be very social. And because of that, you can sit him before a computer or a laptop and he will concentrate on, I don't know what, programming something, but that's it, you know. <laughs> So that, there's a lot in there. It's, you know, it's the nerd, but, but worse, let's say, socially. So this is, That's, you put this a is lot the stereotype, in, I think. In one capsule there. So first of all, Rain Man is based on two actual people who lived. One of them was Kim Peek. And the character in Rain Man was, had one of them that they based the character on, had split brain condition. He was actually able to read two sides of a book at once, and he could give directions to almost two, any cities in the world. And he said his type of brain is said to come along once in a century. And he was also savant. And most autistic people are not savants. So Rain Man is far from a representation of a typical autistic person. Unfortunately, just last week, I was asked by a news reporter how I was different than Rain Man. And I am still explaining the difference. So that has become an iconic representation of autism, which is far from the truth. 
Your other points are commonly being autistic is portrayed as a Caucasian young male from a middle social class who loves technology. And I have much anecdotal evidence talking to corresponding with over 10,000 autistic people that our interests vary as much as any other human being. I have a friend who belongs to a secret Facebook group where 200 of them are autistic doctors. A lot of autistic people, especially females, are drawn to education and our teachers, professors, or in the helping field such as nurses or counselors. There are a significant number of people who are drawn to counseling like I was earlier in my life. They weigh the jobs, vocations that autistic people have are just as different as anybody else. So that's a huge stereotype. In addition, we are across the gender spectrum. There's, in my opinion, and from my research and my correspondence, there's just as many people that identify as female or other parts of the gender spectrum that are autistic. It's not just a male condition. There are certain ways that coexisting conditions present themselves, such as apraxia, where men or boys are more easily detected as being on the spectrum, but females are are just as much autistic as males are. And it's not just one type of socioeconomic class. It's, again, across the whole area of income. And ages, ageism is a huge thing in how autism is represented There are people that are in their 90s, maybe even their hundreds that are autistic, not just people in their 20s, and definitely not just people who are Caucasian males who like technology. I work for an engineering company, and ironically, I am terrible at technology. I couldn't get into my work email last week for two days. (laughs) So that's a huge uh, mistruth. And a lot of autistic people that I talk to in the autism community do not like that stereotype. They do not like that most of the jobs, most of the autism hiring programs are around engineering and and coding and technology, the STEM field, what we call in America STEM. And what about all the other ways that we can contribute to the world? I advocate strongly for if you're going to have neurodiversity hiring initiatives or autism hiring initiatives, to put neurodivergent autistic people in HR, to put them in human resource, to put them in recruitment, talent acquisition, in managerial roles. If you want to attract autistic people who are not just Caucasian men in their 20s, then put an autistic person in roles where they can appeal to the community and find that intersectionality. A huge gap as well are people who are not white, such as Indigenous people, Native Americans, uh, black and brown people, they are being left out of the autism conversation. And it's an extension of oppression and racism from hundreds of years, from the 1500s. It's, It's continuing onward. And we need to support our black and brown friends and bring them into this discussion and put them on the faces of websites. I don't know how it is in Germany, but in America, if you go to most of the autism organizations and you look at the pictures, whether it's a corporation or a university 
or a research organization, the pictures depicted of autistic people are usually that stereotypical white male. And we need to change the face of autism. We need to change the voice of autism. Another grossly underrepresented group is non-speaking autistic people. The way someone uses their vocal cords does not represent their intelligence in any way. And a societal norm in the Western society is if you can use your vocal cords right, then therefore you must be more intelligent than someone who cannot. And that's a huge myth. There are brilliant people who do not speak in traditional ways, who are very verbal through assistive technology and through different ways of communicating, such as art and, and drama. And we need to respect and honor them because they're the most different of the different and therefore the most oppressed and the most underrepresented and the most marginalized. So to answer your question, there are huge stereotypes that still exist and huge truths that autistic people, those with similar profiles and their allies are obligated as citizens to change, to bring, to bring enlightenment of what it is to be autistic. And what it is to be autistic is to be a human being with all the different interests, with all the different perceptions and passions, with just a little different way of perceiving and processing. And it's time that we bring that to the diversity table and look at it together Marcel, but just in a few sentences, what would you say you, this, let's say, this autistic way of thinking and processing things can bring a society, economy, and whatever human development forward? I mean, what kind of qualities would you say could you offer better than other ones? Or, okay, better it sounds so, you know, so moral, but I don't want to say that. But, for example, I would say that people with psychosis, empathetic, spiritual, very creative, and what I, maybe this is the same with uh, autism people. What I perceive from people with autism is that they don't lie. They just don't lie. I mean, they, they don't make... But maybe this is uh, also a very difficult question because what is a lie and what is uh, truth? I mean, they, they don't want to hide, maybe. You understand what I want to say? They don't want to, to mask themselves? Sure, I can answer, answer your question. It's a very good question. So autistic people have already always existed throughout time and history. It's nothing new. It's, it's a heritable, it's a genetic condition. And there are theories... And of course, they're only theories because people no longer exist. But there are theories that a lot of our top scientists, artists, inventors were on the autism spectrum. As mentioned, Albert Einstein. And there's many other. You can Google that. You can look on the Internet and find theories that have been actually written about books that have written about certain people like um, Tesla and explore the way that autism has been here throughout history. When you say what can autistic people bring to society, to the workplace, I would say, you know, we're, we're not any better, but that any types of differences promote cognitive diversity. And I like to think of cognitive diversity as this think incubator, this box where all these different minds are mixing together. And because of that, 
they're outputting, what's coming out of that box is, is new brilliances, new ideas. So it's not so much the autistic person that's making a difference. It's bringing the different perspectives of autistics and non-autistic people all together. Because if we're going to have a community of just autistic people, then we're moving to homogeneousness again. We're not having that heterogeneous. We're not having those differences. So autistic people can bring different perspectives, different ideas. Uh, The strengths that I've seen in interviewing hundreds of people are there is a select cluster of traits for autistic people. But this isn't everyone. This is more of a generalization, what's reported by a lot of autistic people and people that worked with autistic people and their families and and research and so forth. There are some key things that autistic people have innately in most cases, again, a generalization. And one of those is pattern-seeking minds and out-of-the-box thinking and being able to look at things, not just technology, but words in a book and to come up with new ideas and new formulations and find those slight errors and discrepancies. That's why some autistic people make good coders and software testers. They can find those flaws and help that end-user experience. That's why some people like myself are good at writing. I can look at 10, 20 articles in a day, find the patterns that are common, put them all together in my mind like a giant jigsaw puzzle, and then recreate a new picture and a new way of seeing things and transition not to regurgitating, to repeating facts, but new ideas that maybe other people have not thought of before. And you touched based on honesty, and that's something I've seen 99% of the time with autistic people. And I can lie, but I can remember almost every time in my life that I have lied. Sometimes you have to lie for self-protection or to not hurt someone's feelings. And those can be very difficult times for me and other autistic people. I feel extremely guilty if I am not 100% myself, authentic and truthful. That goes down to timing. I have an interesting story today. Someone who's a prominent figure in the autism community Facebooked me. They sent me a direct message And they were helping me with my newest book project. And they said, I know I told you that I think that this Native American culture, the Mohawk, had 86 distinct definitions for gender. But I've actually been doing these calculations. And this person showed me a snapshot of the paper where they work the calculations. And I think there's only 80. So please don't say 86 because there's only 80. So it's this adherence to wanting to be as truthful as possible. And I've seen that across the board with autistic people and people with similar profiles, such as gifted intellect and ADHDers and dyslexic. There's lots of overlap there. Another thing that autistic people bring to the workplace is integrity and loyalty or any community. If they feel comfortable and supported and they agree with the mission of a community or a workplace corporation, let's say, then a lot of times autistic people are driven to do their best. There was a news clip I watched several years ago, and the man gave a brilliant example of how the typical person will walk into the workplace five minutes late, get started, not a big deal. That's a cultural norm. It's okay to do that. Whereas an autistic person will walk in two minutes late, and go to their supervisor and say, I was two minutes late today. Would you like me to work two minutes overtime? 
It's that much attention to detail, to integrity and loyalty. And most people, and again, it's a generalization because we have people all across the circle of spectrum of autism all around, but they try their best to give 100% and sometimes even more. Like myself, I have worked sometimes double hours over what I'm supposed to work. And I don't ask for accolades. I don't ask for extra pay in most situations. I want to do my very best. When I was first hired, one last thing, when I was first hired to work with Ultranauts, I was their very first recruiter. And we were a very small company then. We're over 100 now. We were 10 then. And because it was my responsibility to learn about best recruitment processes, not only for people on the autism spectrum, but for the general population, I have now spent over 3,000 hours reading and studying best practices in the workplace for inclusion for people who are autistic and similar profiles. So that's a demonstration of going extremely above and beyond because I want to not only do well by myself and bring my best person forward, but I want to be the best for that company. I want to be the best contributor, the best employee that I can be. And I see that integrity across the board, not just in the workplace, but wanting to be the best person they can be in a relationship, the best person they can be in a service-oriented club, in a sports team, in a gaming team. And also, for the most part, autistic people are extremely empathetic and contrary to to some of the stereotypes that out there are out there, have more empathy than the typical person and, and take things extremely to heart. And that's sometimes one of the reasons an autistic person might come across as cold or not interested or not paying attention to someone else's pain is because they're overwhelmed, not only with sensory, but with the emotional and cognitive processing of someone else's pain. For instance, for me, it's easier for me to cry, and this is a real example, over a dill weed plant being cut because we grow herbs in our house. It's easier for me to feel empathy for that plant than it is for maybe someone who's died. And that's because I can process that plant losing part of its life essence. And to process someone's death brings me so much emotional pain. And so much confusion that I need time, I need weeks, I need months to process that tragedy. So it's not that autistic people aren't empathetic. We are again have brain variances that make us perceive and process the world differently. So this means that, for example, if somebody close in your environment would die, you would um, seemingly be touched maybe a little bit but that's it you, you will not see tears and something but you will cry when you are at home and some weeks later and every evening and stuff like that for example uh, and, that, and this is just me in my experience everyone processes emotions differently on the autism spectrum and there are times that I would cry right away of course but some things are more complex and complicated for instance my my dear heart my professional and personal partner David During the pandemic, during COVID last year, he had to fly to see his some of his family in, in Austin, Texas. And he was gone for a week. 
And when he left, I went numb. And I couldn't feel anything because it was so much to process him traveling during these dangerous times. And it wasn't until he came back seven days later that I broke down and fell apart and started sobbing. I went into a protective zone. I put myself into a dome of distraction and not looking at the situation because it was too much for me to contemplate and to process and to feel. It would have been too overwhelming. Once I felt safe and he was back and I knew he was safe, I was able to process it. And with some autistic people, that can happen also in relationships when you've been hurt or violated or a victim where you don't recognize that someone's hurt you or cross a boundary until weeks or months or sometimes years later because a part of you is trying to understand not only that social part of it, that social aspect, but understand the feelings that that's brought to you and in the way that you were hurt or harmed. It's a particularly important that we recognize that with our autistic people, especially autistic youth, that they are more predispositioned to be vulnerable and to be bullied and to be hurt by other people because they don't necessarily understand those aspects of society, of bullying and hurting and manipulation. And then they also have a hard time recognizing it and emotionally processing it. Marcel, as an empathetic woman, um, as an autistic woman, or let's say just an, as an empathetic woman with a special story, what would you advise people who are listening to this podcast during these COVID lockdown times, which seem to continue a little bit? What would you tell them if they uh, discover some pains in their own souls? For me... This too will pass, helps, that this will not go on forever, that this is a small part of our life history and life timeline. Some days the monotonous, the nonstop can seem like it's forever, but it's just a little blip, blimp, whatever the word is, I'm dyslexic, and it will end. Also, I would say what helps me is to turn to spiritual truth through the ages, whatever that might look like for a person, to read quotes and works by philosophers, by great minds of the world. Also, I love Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning about the Jewish Holocaust and how he survived that. Logotherapy is an off-branch of that. And looking into, as you mentioned, earlier about how we all suffer from the Buddhist tradition that we are all sharing in that that suffering and then one of the practices that we can do is when we're feeling that great pain is to take on others great pain at the same time and realize we're all in this together that this is all part of the human experience and hopefully from these real difficult times especially in the United States with not only the global health crisis, but the political climate and the social justice climate, that these radical, extremely hard times 
there's a yin and yang that we will hopefully be planting seeds and seeing flowers from all this destruction and hurt and and death that like the earth, like biodiversity, that we can take these deaths, these sorrows, this mourning, these transitions, and see that they are going to make fertile ground for our society. And we're going to be able to create better practices and better supports and better connections worldwide because of these trials that we all are going through together. And it's a unique time, as sad and tragic as it is, and disheartening. It's a unique time because we're all together as a world in this. This isn't a war where there's one side and another side of humans. This is where we are all as a collective fighting together and working together and connecting together. It's a unique opportunity to build bridges, as you say, and to make huge transformations in our world and how we communicate and what we see as normal. As example, before remote work was seen as something that might be difficult and by necessity, so many people now are seeing that there are benefits to it. So we're able to change our vision and change our view and see things in a way that we would not have been able to see before the global pandemic. Marcel, thank you very much. Have a good evening and maybe see you again. Vielen Dank. Das war ähm, die nächste Folge aus unserem Podcast aus Krisen zum Glück. Bisschen, bisschen überschattet immer noch von unseren anhaltenden Lockdowns gerade. Es ging gerade bei Marcel um die Problematik äh, Neurodiversität und äh, Autismus-Spektrum. Und wir hören uns in zwei Wochen wieder mit einer neuen schönen Podcast-Folge und einem neuen Interviewcast, einem interessanten. Bis dahin wünsche ich euch, dass ihr irgendwie gut durchkommt und dass Marcel euch einen guten Rat geben konnte. Und auch nochmal der kleine Aufruf, wenn ihr äh, mir sagen wollt, dass dieser Podcast sich in irgendeiner Art und Weise thematisch verändern sollte, also irgendwie fokussieren sollte auf... Mental Health oder nur Schicksalsschläge oder, oder auch gerne eine Rückmeldung, dass es gerade so gut ist, bunte Tüte, dann ist meine Webseite www.christianewirtz.com. Also wie gesagt, eine gute Zeit in den nächsten zwei Wochen und bis zur nächsten Folge. Tschüss.